Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today let the word go forth fool me once are you fired up i'm not a crook are you ready to go shame on shame on you it's abe lincoln's top hat hosted by ben kissel fool me can't get fooled again Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel here with Marcus Parks. My goodness. Well, first of all, we have to do the sad news. John McCain passed away. Yeah. 81 years old. Uh, really devastating. Welcome to the show, by the way, everyone. Uh, John McCain passed away, 81 years old. Uh, really, I mean, the last great spokesperson, the one to reach across the aisle. It doesn't happen anymore. So that was really sad. And it was difficult to watch uh, the family's reaction yeah. at the funeral. It was like heartbreaking, almost to the point where I was like, I don't, I felt kind of weird watching the footage because it was so hyper personal i had to stop watching it because it felt wrong yes i I don't like watching public funerals no it's it's very strange especially when it's like i don't know especially when we have a a, a connection obviously you know i got to meet megan i did her radio show multiple times she was the first one to call me a political commentator and i said i've been called a political commentator by a senator's daughter i'm going to fox news (laughs) immediately (laughs) um but she was so sweet to me and evidently, Mr. McCain listened when I was on the radio. I think he listened to all of her shows. Yeah. But he said he really enjoyed me, and that made me feel good. Oh, I remember so that. Was that. Nice. Yeah, and, so. I, I, and I also I enjoy Megan McCain as well as yes. a, a political commentator. Absolutely. She's out there fighting on The View, and that show, I don't even know how you do that every day. It's got to uh. be difficult for all of them, but they, they, they are yelling at each other, and uh, I don't know if it's productive or not, but I guess it's entertaining. Yeah. Of course, John McCain, a small political scandal in 1989. He was part of the Keating Five. Mm-hmm. That was a savings and loan scandal during the savings and loans uh it was a big crisis at the time so they got wrapped up this guy keating he had a savings and loan i think it was called lincoln savings and loan something like that anyway basically it was a pay-to-play type situation that was the biggest scandal of his career and then he went on to work with my senator from wisconsin russ feingold Mm -hmm. and created the mccain feingold bill to try to curb a little bit of the financial or the money influence in politics Dare I say it didn't work, um, but nonetheless, he admitted his faults uh, when he when he had the faults, and uh, I think he did try to do what was best for the country as he saw it. And I firmly believe if he was not completely screwed over by Karl Rove and the Bush machine in 2000, mm-hmm. after 9-11, the worst thing that ever happened to this country, I think John McCain would have been a much, much better president uh, than George W. Bush. I know he was a hawk, he was. but he was rational. He wouldn't have surrounded himself with Rumsfeld, Cheney. Ashcroft, these really faux uh, patriots, people yeah. who were just they 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 hug the flag like Donald Trump, and they are just tr- pretending like they're strong men by sending young people off to uh, wars that aren't necessarily needed nor valid. I don't think we would have gone into Iraq if oh. John McCain. We would not have gone into Iraq at all. I think it's fair to say we would have been in a war, uh, but I don't think we would have gone into Iraq. So uh, rest in peace, Mr. McCain, 81 years old. His mother is 106, still alive. Yeah. It's incredible. And she looks fine she's fine i don't I, she's doing great so uh yes that was that was a big story uh this week and of yeah. course uh donald trump at the 
Of course, just Donald Trump, he, he refused to lower the flags at the White House initially. Fox News ran a story. It was negative. The yeah. flags went down. Yeah. Um, he kept them up or he only lowered them briefly and then raised them again. Then he would put them down. His statement on Twitter was horrible. It yeah. was just didn't even thank John McCain for his service. Five years in the Hanoi Hilton. There's a great documentary on John McCain, by the way. If you get a chance to watch it, it's on HBO. I really didn't realize the extent of the torture and the abuse yeah. they all went through. And they talked to some of the folks that he was held with. And the amount of respect that they had for John was really uh, something that you could feel through the television screen. Mm-hmm. And I would have tapped out immediately. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have, whatever they want to hear, if they, if someone even looks at me and they have a pair of scissors <laughs> and they're like, I will be like, what do you need to know? And they'll be like, I, I'm a seamstress. I'm like, whatever. I will tell you anything. Um, so the fact that he stayed there for five years when he could have been released, because obviously his father was a very successful admiral and a very well-known internationally, have obviously a long line of military um achievement in his family so that was sad news and a little bit i guess not unexpected no um he had been uh fairly quick he lived longer than his diagnosis they said he was going to live around six months and he lived longer than that brain brain cancer ended up taking senator john mccain and it's kind of sad specifically given just the tone of Washington, D.C. today. Where is the young John McCain? We don't know. Speaking of tone, uh, we had a primary in uh, was specifically Florida. Let's focus on Florida a little bit. We can talk a little bit about Arizona as well. McSally was able to beat Kelly Ward and uh, and our favorite guy, Joe Arpaio. Ugh. These two are Ward and Arpaio are true Looney Tunes. Obviously, we know more. We know a lot about Arpaio had to be pardoned by Donald Trump for disobeying a court order. And uh, he was charged with a felony for crying out loud. This man then thought he should be a senator for some reason. Kelly Ward is almost crazier than Joe Arpaio (laughs) in a sense. She was almost more Trump than Trump. Um, So they were running in the Republican primary against this gal, McSally. McSally was the first female to ever, I believe uh, she was a a pilot. She was the first one to ever fly in active duty, I believe. And so she had a great resume. She was able to win. Honestly, the Republican Party dodged a massive bullet because uh, the uh, Democratic uh, opponent, no doubt, was pushing for someone like Arpaio or Ward because I think she would have been able to uh, increase her chances of winning significantly. But now McSally is there, so who knows? It's, it tends to be a Republican-held seat, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, also in Florida, DeSantis. DeSantis? Hey. He is uh, another Trump lackey. He was able to win the primary for governor, and he was going against this guy, Gilliam. And now Gilliam is an African-American man. He got 34% of the vote. It was a real surprise victory. And uh, immediately, DeSantis uh, is speaking about how we don't want to elect this Democrat because he's going to monkey up the works. This is the term that he used. Obviously, a lot of people were like, was that a dog whistle or whatever it is? So that that is already beginning when mm-hmm. it comes to the under underlying racial tone uh, tenor of that race. I'm sure yeah. it'll be there throughout the cycle. Well, that guy also, he has ties to the alt-right as well. So oh, absolutely. He's, he's, not a, he's, he's definitely not, we're not talking about a Boy Scout here at all. He might be a Boy Scout, to be fair. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, we're not talking about a Boy Scout, but there's a lot of horrible Boy Scouts. <laughs> All right, so that's basically, those were the two biggest primaries, uh, the two biggest races that we were watching this past week. And, of course, the primary season continues on. And uh, November is coming right around the corner. And someone is happy for November not to come. And that person is, of course, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. 
Donald Trump has said this week that he's not going to fire Jeff Sessions until probably after the elections in November. (laughs) So his time is limited. Folks like Lindsey Graham, obviously someone who has managed to square his love of uh, Senator John McCain and his um, ability to deal with Donald Trump. He somehow can square that in his head. I think in his mind, he is doing it for the American people. So thank Uh, you. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you very much, Lindsey Graham. Thank you so much for doing that for the American people. But um, he has been talking a lot about how Jeff Sessions publicly, he has been talking about how Jeff Sessions should probably step down at this point. It's not a relationship that seems to be working. Yeah. Uh, they don't like each other. And I guess you really can't have a relationship with the president and the attorney general despising one another to the degree that they <laughs> despise one another. It is uh, intense, to say the least. It is. And of course, we also had the situation where Donald Trump was speaking in Indiana. We have, as we talked about last week, all the all the guilty verdicts. Uh, you know, Manafort is now he's got his second trial coming up in D.C. He wants to get that moved. It's possible he's going to try to seek a plea deal for the second trial. Too little, too late, perhaps. Who knows? So we will have to wait and see what went, what goes on there. Trump in Indiana yesterday. I was watching C-SPAN. There's three C-SPANs, you know. Really? Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> and uh, I know, I know, just when you can't get enough of one, uh-huh. then you got two more, just in case. I do love C-SPAN. John Meacham was on there talking. He's a, he's a presidential historian. He had some pretty good jabs. Mm-hmm. He had some good barbs. I bet he did. And occasionally he was in roast mode. Um, but Donald Trump speaking in Indiana, if you get a chance, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, just watch these, just watch them. And it really gives you a an understanding of what the hell is going on. Interesting. Uh, there was one point, and you will always find a point, for the most part, where you say, I can kind of get on board when he talks about prisoners. Yeah. Donald Trump talking about prisoners is actually really interesting because he talks about how he wants to get them back to work. Of course, we also have to look at the criminal justice system. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is a massive proponent of over-incarceration, private prison systems, all that stuff. So the rhetoric doesn't match uh, the policy, to say the least. But nonetheless. Yeah. And he, don't forget Jeff Sessions. Own stock in many uh, private prison companies. Civic Geo Group, all those things. But that is a time where Donald Trump does talk about uh, prisoners in a way that I haven't seen any president talk about them, really kind of passionately. And uh, so that was one of the components of the speech that I thought was interesting. But then we have the immigration portion of his speech. It is increasingly hostile. And I know that's kind of crazy to say because it started out with calling them rapists. It's gotten even more hostile uh, when it comes to uh, immigrants. MS-13 is now representative to the minds of many Trump supporters. And this is what Donald Trump is trying to do. Paint all immigrants with the MS-13 paintbrush. So when you say MS-13, we're not talking about a specific group of gang members that are horrible. Uh, Absolutely. They kill, they murder, they do everything uh, bad under the sun. No one is denying that. But the way that he uses this rhetoric is quite fascinating. Now he is telling a story about how women walk home, they get sliced, they get diced, all this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure these things happen. They happen all across the board, amongst all economic groups, amongst all racial classes. Murder happens. Okay. Um, And then he talks about how Ice goes in. Ice goes into these neighborhoods. I say it's a war. I think it's a war now. And I say the neighbors, the neighbors, they see ice. They go out the windows and they wave at ice. They say, thank you. And now you know what they're doing? They're liberating these neighborhoods. They're liberating the neighborhoods. That's the language he's using now, that he is liberating neighborhoods. And then he says, I like ice. I say, I say, grab him by the neck, throw him in the back of the paddy wagon. And everyone just goes crazy. So he is really ratcheting it up. This uh, anti-immigrant rhetoric 
in a way that is just, I mean, I hate the analogy, but my goodness, this is late 1930s, uh, without a doubt, coming mm-hmm. right here in 2018 to America. I mean, the way that he talks about liberating these neighborhoods, yeah. quite fascinating. It's giving them an enemy. Right? It's, oh, it's, it's definitely it's giving really, them an it's enemy. Fo- it's focusing them on that. Well, that's what he's all about. And especially, look, this speech. This speech this is speech very is much about focusing an enemy. Because this is a, a quote, uh, him talking about the media. He said, today's Democrat Party is held hostage by left-wing haters. <laughs> yeah, angry that. haters. That's great. Haters. Uh, angry mobs. I love it when the president talks like a fucking 13-year-old girl no, like on Taylor Instagram. Swift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, angry mobs, deep state radicals, establishment cronies, and their fake news allies. Mm-hmm. Our biggest obstacle and their greatest ally actually is the media. It is. Uh, it is. If- Interesting, and these people are frothing at the mouth. Interesting, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's also interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, those, those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes, yes. yes. But uh, the people, it gets them. It gets them so riled up. And as a fan of professional wrestling, my God, it, does he just understand? He just does it. how to be the heel, but then he's also uh, a face to these people. So he's our heel. He's he's their face. Oh my God! And he calls it a revolution now. Uh, it's it's interesting yeah. to say the least. If you get a chance again, watch the full speeches i know it's hard as soon as people hear his voice uh, people get up you just get upset you just want to change uh, channels you don't want to hear really it do. I, I i do not i actually prefer to read uh his speeches now instead of actually watching well, them because it's just that oh, his voice does like it does infu- i mean it makes me sad it uh, is and sad. especially these uh the, like his voice actually makes me sad and especially to watch these rallies uh and to see these people swallowing this bullshit loving it loving it hook Line he, gives and sinker. Them, he gives them everything they want. He walks out to uh, proud to be an American. Yeah, he's got two green hats in his hands. Yeah, because every and other then, musician in America has said, "Stop playing my fucking music." <laughs> well, except for, <laughs> he still plays the Rolling Stones. You don't always get where you can't always get what you want. Ugh. That's the end. He's done that ever since the beginning. It's mm. really bizarre that that's the song he chooses. Um, I suppose that's how he sees himself. He's not the. A lot of people say he's not he's not the perfect messenger, mm-hmm. but he's getting the job done. So I suppose uh, maybe it's a, a harken back to that sentiment. Comes out on stage, two green hats, walks around. I mean, this crowd is amped up. Again, it is a WWE Monday Night Raw or Tuesday Night SmackDown. Ends up throwing the caps into the audience. Just fascinating to see this uh, the theatrics behind this man. And that's where he is in his he's in a little womb. He is safe and he is sound, and uh, that's where he is just. Absolutely doing wonderful, despite the fact um, that, as we will see here in the fairly uh, near coming future, um, what's going to happen with the trade policies that he is put enacting. So now he wants to renegotiate NAFTA. So he's speaking with the Mexican president, speaking with Mexican leaders. Automakers are quite upset or worried about what the hell does that mean? Yeah. NAFTA, of course, the North American Free Trade Agreement, been around for a little while. Uh-huh. And you could argue it's led to more economic success than any other trade agreement that we have. Uh, it's pretty crucial to our economy. The industry, this is uh, this is according to a New York Times article. Automakers, I guess they're getting some clear, uh, clarity on what the hell this is going to mean. The industry awaits details of the preliminary agreement that President Trump and Mexican leaders announced this week, but analysts say that most companies will be able to comply with the conditions that have been disclosed. The preliminary deal would require companies to produce at least 75% of automobiles measured by value in North America to import cars into the U.S. duty-free as tax-free. That's up from 62.5% under the North American 
and free trade agreement. Automakers would also have to use more local steel, aluminum, glass, and other parts. Of course, that is also going to uh, the steel tariffs. Uh, and the aluminum tariffs are going to have a really significant role. If we have to create more here, it's going to really jack up a lot of prices. And what's going to end up happening is the consumer is going to end up paying more. And of course, the theory is that more people are going to have jobs. They're going to have more money in their wallets, more money in their checking account. So they're going to be able to afford a little bit more. But the reality is automation is king. And when we talk about building new factories, we talk about these things uh, coming to the United States as if they're going to be huge job makers. It's going to be robots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hate the robots, (laughs) but those are going to be the people who have these jobs. So the increase in actual jobs is not going to be near what people are predicting or what what Donald Trump is saying. Analysts are predicting, obviously. The way it works now uh, with automation, uh, the jobs won't be quite as high. So he's renegotiating that. There's a lot of stuff going on. He is a busy, busy man. And it's not just that. uh, As far as not contributing to the economy goes, uh, he uh, also uh, put the kibosh on the federal employee pay raise. Yeah. Uh, What? You you know what? You know, is that meter maids? (laughs) But that the thing about this is that it is. It wasn't necessarily a raise. It was a cost of living raise. Uh, It was to keep up. With inflation, it was only a two percent raise, but in effect, this is a pay cut because inflation is expected to increase next year, and this pay raise was supposed to keep in line with that. But you know, this isn't really much of a surprise because our uh, pay has not matched uh, inflation in decades. Absolutely not. It, it absolutely. That's why has you're making not. less now than you were back in the day? Making much, much less now. All right. So uh, a little bit later on here in this episode, I have an interview with Mark Jacobson. He is an author of a new book. It's coming out. It's all about William Bill, a.k.a. Bill Cooper. Marcus, you're going to love this book. Oh, yeah. The name of the book is Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. So stay tuned for that interview uh, with Mr. Mark Jacobson. But let's get to the biggest news story of the week, (laughs) Alex Jones. So this happened this week. Marcus just turned me on to this story. Uh, now, what happened here, Marcus? Here's what here's what happened. So Alex Jones, he's on doing his uh, program, and yeah. something's not working with his big screen. Mm-hmm. So he pulls out his phone to you know put it up to the camera and so like, to show is, people the documents. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is what this is what it is. It's just got go ahead, you know, like let's just show it here. Okay, uh, and then there, but there were a bunch of tabs open. Okay, on his phone, and one of the tabs you could just see. A title. Okay. The title was, what you saw was Naughty T-Babe Marissa Myth. Ooh, okay. Naughty Naughty T-Babe. Naughty T-Babe Marissa Myth. Maybe she's British. (laughs) (laughs) And so someone typed it in. Uh Just, you know, just very much typed it in. Oh, he's got a lot of researchers who watch his show. A lot uh, of internet uh, sleuths. Yeah, someone checked it out. uh, And what it was is that it was a Pornhub link. Okay. To Naughty T-Babe Marissa Minx, Ooh. who is described as Australia's number one trans companion okay. slash triple X adult model. Transgender sex worker. Uh, all right. And the, Alex Jones is all man, though. I thought that he was thing. against all, transgender. All man, yeah, all man, totally against transgender people. But it seems like Alex Jones might be enjoying it a little bit. Interesting. So everyone's been waiting for, <laughs> like, he didn't say anything. You know, of course, it's out there. Everyone's been talking about it. Everyone's, everyone has uh, been. I was just watching it to me. I just 
was watching it to. Uh, she's a man. I, I, I was watching it to find. I was finding the evidence. Uh, I, I saw the face and I said, eh, "It's got to be a man." Uh, anyway, I just watched it for five to seven minutes every day for a couple of months about that. Well, uh, so he hasn't. He didn't say anything. He didn't okay. release any statement. Uh, but I, mean, I also don't necessarily know if you have to release a statement. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, this is this world that he created. Didn't so. address it. Okay. Yeah, but this is the world he created. He did. He did create a place where you know trans people are not necessarily welcome. Oh, absolutely. Of uh, course. Let's not forget going back when it came to the transgender ban in the military. Absolutely atrocious. That's when we started this administration. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like uh, a long, like a time. long time ago? <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, so uh, Alex Jones uh, was doing his show, taking a live caller, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, let's let's listen to the audio. All right, let's let me look at this guy. I haven't seen him in, in a little while. Yeah, right? I gotta tell you, though, it's neck and neck, though. If people don't get upset about this, they can win. Yeah. Um, and also, um, what about the trans porn on your phone, Alex? Are you ever going to talk about that? <laughs> Say that again? Trans porn on your phone? <laughs> That's all they keep talking about. <laughs> Shaking his head. You know, I saw a couple like, news articles about that. It's ridiculous. I was you like, looking watch at this some on YouTube, folks. trying to hire today and punched in some number and it popped up porn on my phone. Everybody's had porn pop up on their phones hundreds of times. So I'm sitting there with a phone on air showing it to everybody because I couldn't get a URL up in the studio. And then, like, something pops up, I'm like, oh my God. And, it, and I looked at it. it. wasn't The news blurted out because there was nothing there. They blurred it to then say something was there. Then you went to it, it was some porn menu. I probably had. Porn menus pop up 500 times on my phone. So I appreciate your call. I mean, it's insane, ladies and gentlemen. There's two types of people. People that look at porn and people that lie about it. But I wasn't looking at porn uh, on my phone. I don't take phones on air that I look at porn on. Uh, and so I saw all that. I didn't respond to it. I mean, if I respond to half the attacks on me, it'll... Oh, but then they say ridiculous. But I'll say this. The Amazon ads, the Viagra ads, the weird non-plastic bag ads are taking my iPhone over. iPhones didn't used to be that bad like Androids. It's... Uh, yeah, I, 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 was, I was watching it. But uh, the weird non-plastic bag ads. It's paper. It's paper bags. Well, let's unpack this just very all briefly. Right. Uh, Interesting. But, uh, first of all, <laughs> I have never, ever had porn just pop no, up. No, it doesn't on my just phone. pop up. He also, <laughs> it's just amazing. He's like, I'm just popping in some numbers. What are the numbers? I don't know what numbers he's popping in. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. We d- and also, like, well, I don't bring uh, phones on air that I look uh, at porn on. Uh-huh. And so he has a separate phone for porn. A porno phone, <laughs> which then you really have to wonder what the hell he's looking at. <laughs> you gotta, you really gotta wonder. <laughs> he is so wow. flustered and embarrassed. It's interesting. It's not even a big deal. It's not a it's big just, deal It's at Alex all. Jones, who is just, you know, we all know who Alex Jones is. Yeah, it's, he of is, course it's I mean, not a big deal at I all. I gotta say, he is thinner than he used to be. He looks haggard. I think yeah. now he is in the middle of that really significant trial that could end, bankrupt him. It really could. Uh, of course, the folks there, uh, the Sandy Hook parents who were tormented by his fans, uh, forced to move out of their homes after they lost their children. Seven were, times they had to move. Seven times. Yeah. Unbelievable. So my sympathy for him is not Z- a Existed. I have more sympathy for Paul Manafort. Yeah, I really do. In a strange he's way. a war criminal. Yeah, I mean, that's classy stuff. That's old school, you know? Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy this interview with Mark Jacobson. All right. Well, we, I am honored now to be here with Mark Jacobson. He is the author of Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy, and The Fall of Trust in America. Thanks for being here, Mark. 
Well, I appreciate it. I'm Absolutely. glad you invited me over. So we did a Patreon interview uh, for last podcast on the left. Thank you so much for doing that. And we talked a lot about Bill Cooper, the life of Bill Cooper. Of course, for those that don't know, and I'm sure everyone does know, he was sort of the first conspiracy theorist to really uh, get somewhat mainstreamed. And he was on the frontier of what's now known as uh, conspiracy thought, the Alex Jones kind of pseudo intellectuals. He was sort of the grandfather of that movement, right? Well, I don't know if you want to call a guy who lives on top of a mountain in the middle of rural Arizona with a studio, which is probably very similar to the studio we're sitting in here yeah, right good. now um kind of mainstream if you want to call them mainstream go right ahead but well by today's <laughs> standards his sort of uh conspiracy theory thinking has become mainstreamed hasn't it well but his delivery system was different in the sense that he was only on shortwave radio right right so the thing about shortwave radio which i always thought was great was if you're sitting there and you're waiting to hear bill cooper yeah and and there's a sunspot like 93 million miles away, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear him. You know, what, what, is, what, what is this old technology? I'm completely confused. Is, well, I'm, a really, I'm not an expert on it, but shortwave radio was, um, that was the delivery system of most of this uh, pre-Rush Limbaugh kind of stuff. Well, that's great. And I'm happy that you mentioned that because that's what I came here to talk to you about, shortwave radio. That's all I okay. want to talk about for the next 45 well, minutes. Well, actually, there's a great... <laughs> The, the, the hero of shortwave radio was actually a, a New York guy named Alan Weiner, which anybody that is in this business, including yourself, All right. should know about Alan Weiner. All right. Because Alan Weiner is, he's the original radio pirate guy. All right. I'll and check he, him out. He got a boat. He had a boat. I think it was called the, the USS, it was a Japanese tra- trawler. They caught, like, you know, illegal Japanese fishing or whatever they do. Right, right. And um, he bought this boat and he, and he anchored it uh, about six miles off of uh, Jones Beach. Okay. Just beyond the uh, six mile, whatever it is, six mile or three limit, two mile limit. I don't know. All right. But, um, and he started, bra- he started to uh, broadcast against all Isn't that. Isn't this, there was a movie, Pirate Radio, made about this. Yeah, but. He's the real guy. All right. He's the Mr. <laughs> Alan, Alan Wiener. I'll Alan look Wiener. In, I'll look and into it. he's still him. got a radio station, WBCQ, which is right on the Canadian border in Maine. All right. Called Monticello, Maine. And he is the guy. And he's, he's a hero of a sort. Well, I got to get, I'll have an interview with Alan Wiener whenever I possibly can. You whenever should. I get out to sea, I'll go and try to find him and speak to him. Also, you have a book reading for your uh, for your most recent book. Again, that is A Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. You're going to be at The Strand on September 6th from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. That's true. So um, check that out, folks. The Strand, it's, it's a very exciting place. There's a lot of books. And who doesn't love books? They say they have eight miles of books. Yes. Uh, don't, don't love them as much as I the mean, kid did from the movie Happiness. Other than that... <laughs> Uh, you're allowed to go peruse as many books as you'd like and listen uh, to well, used- Mr. Jacobson. But I want to talk about fake news. Okay. And I want to talk about the world that we're living in right now because it seems more difficult to see what to, to tell what's true, what's false. Everyone sort of just um, puts the, the news, they digest the news that they want to digest that fits their political narrative. How has news changed from uh, your experience in working with Esquire and uh, just your life experience? How have you seen it change? Uh, throughout your time in journalism? Well, I've been a working journalist since 1972. Okay. Strangely enough. 
And I worked for, I mean, you know, everywhere. Rolling Stone, I was a contributing editor there for years. And I worked at New York Magazine. I worked, my greatest job of all time was when I worked at the Village Voice back in the day. Okay. I worked, I worked there during the 1970s. And there was this kind of, the thing about The Voice, which was kind of interesting, is like, it was already what you call alternative journalism in the sense like there was right. the New York Times mm-hmm. and then there was us. Right. You know, and, and we were like, we were like this guerrilla army in the Viet Cong sense, you know. Um, the Times was a bunch of guys from Princeton and wherever else right. they could get these kind of uh, well-pedigreed individuals. And they were, oh, supposedly, yeah. they were supposedly, and they knew a lot about um, the further away from 43rd Street, which is where the New York Times office used to be, the more interesting their reporting was. Mm-hmm. But the closer to 43rd Street, the more kind of corrupt and, uh, you know... Uh, corporate? Well, it wasn't really corporate in the sense that we didn't really... It was more like compromised mm. because the Times even then owned a lot of real estate. So you can... <laughs> so, right. So in any event, we used to be up... It was up against, it was We were up against them and on local news, which is really a big thing. People don't talk about local news because I think um, they would kind of punt that. So that was like, that left this enormous opening for you. Right. Because we were just these... um, So what were some of the things that the Village Voice was covering? And then what was the initial reception to the Village Voice? Was it um, met with disdain or did people criticize you for not being so-called real journalists? Uh, What was the the overall reception? I would assume the New York Times wasn't thrilled to have competition. Well, it wasn't really exactly competition because it was kind of a... You would read the New York Times to get one side of the story, and then you read The Voice to get the other side of the story. And right. basically, were, basically, people were like, it was okay. You know, it wasn't like one side against the other the way mm-hmm. it is now. I mean, it wasn't immediately an oppositional kind of thing because we realized that, um, you know, they got stuff right, and we got stuff right. You right. know, we got stuff wrong, they got stuff wrong. But uh, it was fun to beat them because yeah. it was like we were the guerrilla army and they were the... Uh, they were the, you know, the establishment. So, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about now we have we have Donald John Trump in the White House. And it's a very adversarial uh, position right now between the media and the White House. Of course, this is nothing new. Every single president, Democrat or Republican it's, has left it, office hating it, the media. It's something new. <laughs> but, uh, yes, <laughs> well, that's, like, that's the point. When he starts calling the newspaper people the enemy of the people, that's, right, right. that's news. That's well, news. Going, that going, didn't happen before. <laughs> going back to the 70s, of course, with Jimmy Carter, for example. Jimmy Carter came in. He was anti-establishment. A lot of the establishment didn't like him. There's actually strange parallels between Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump in a very abstract kind of way, but he was uh, he he leapfrogged the people that the Democratic establishment wanted to see uh, in the White House. He got into the White House, put in his folks. Two years later, he got some more establishment people uh, in the White House after he realized he was in way over his head. And uh, the New York Times and the Carter administration despised each other, or at least the Carter administration despised the New York Times. So when it comes to the idea of a president loathing media, you know, it goes it goes back to Adams who wanted the Alien Sedition Act, all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, Trump, it does seem to be at a different level. So what's your perspective on that about Trump? Well, the thing is that well, Pete Hamill, who's a famous journalist. An estimable figure. I assume your audience knows who he is. I saw Pete. Uh, he's a buddy of mine. He's. They were honoring him in Park Slope. They have a library there that was built by um, Andrew Carnegie. Okay. 
So Andrew Carnegie was this, you know, he's the standard rich guy. Yes. Back from the 19th century. So he said, he said, the reason why the world is really screwed up more than it really should be is because the fault of the rich people. And I said, how do you get that? So he says, um, Andrew Carnegie built 1,600 libraries in this country so people could go in and get facts and information and read a book. Like Donald Trump, he's never even been in a library. Right. So you you got this kind of thing of like this guy who just doesn't care. He doesn't care about what, you know, you could know everything. You could be Albert Einstein. He does. He's not impressed. Right, right, right. He's not impressed. You know? Well, as a matter of fact, I mean, he might see that as a uh, as a uh, point of contention, right? Well, he's an enemy because right. if you know something he doesn't know, you're an enemy. So the thing is, and and for somebody like a guy like Trump, who was like the megalomania of the guy, which is comes right out of the society, which feeds megalomaniacs. Right. But so like. Um, so now they got they got what they want. They got the, well, that's the an ultimate ultimate megalomaniac leader, you know. So. Well, that is an interesting point. You know, our society has been rewarding bad behavior, and when I say bad behavior, I'm not talking about it like they're listening to Satanist music like Pantera um, or White Pantera, Zombie. Man? Nothing. I love walk, it. Walk, walk. Absolutely. Uh, no, I know. And uh, R.I.P. Vinny. R.I.P. Dimebag. I'll tell you, Phil is the one. He I mean, killed what? Phil. Ensemble killed Dimebag. He requested the fans go beat up Dimebag, and then this is Pantera. So you're telling a Pantera fan to beat somebody up? He's like, I'll get my shotgun. Well, I know what to know, do. I mean, Ridiculous. I, I'm, anyway, I'm a G.G. Allen fan. I mean, come on, you know. G.G. G.G. <laughs> Allen is good in theory, but I never want to hang out with him. I think it's better well, he's, that uh, he's dead. So yes, you know, I know, and I think that. With him anyhow. <laughs> good Lord Almighty, he sounded like a real. What I'm going to say, it. I want to get too crass here. Pain in the neck. Oh, he was a nightmare. But, I mean, he existed and he was... <laughs> no, he existed. <laughs> I mean, but when you talk about that, when you talk about megalomania, when you talk about um, who we have seen, who have we, who we have given value to in this country and in this culture, uh, Donald Trump is really a perfect representation of everything that's wrong with the things that we have validated in people for decades now. Well, it's just that he's such a bad version of what you... I mean, this is like this weird experiment in American history, which they've with fascism. That like they've had many different kinds of uh, fascist leaders. Like during the 1930s and 40s, there was a guy named Father Coughlin. You know about him? No, I don't. He had a 90 million people listen to his radio show. 90 how many, million? How many people listen to your radio Two show? Two million. <laughs> so, you know, so he had 88 more million people. Well, now I just feel bad. The interview's over. <laughs> okay. I can't deal I'm with sorry. this. I'm sorry. Where's my suitcase? I'm, <laughs> I'm going out to the middle of the ocean and starting a pirate radio. <laughs> All right. No, this guy, he pirate, and look him up, Father Coughlin, a very interesting guy. Okay, awesome. Guy. 90 million. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, you know, he was on once a week. He was basically, uh, he, was a, he was a Catholic priest, which... Okay. which, which Got him some listenership, but I mean, he was basically a fascist, kind of American first or beyond that. Oh, he was a fascist, this man. He was a fascist. So, like, you know, um, and um, a lot of people listen to him. So, America has always had this kind of strain. Right, right. So, like, when you get up to, and right now we're dealing with, uh, I mean, I, I think that this goes a lot with the, with the William Cooper idea of, like, you can't believe you have to do your own research. Mm-hmm. 
So the idea of the autodidact, you know, the person who finds out for himself, he doesn't believe anything he's told. Right. I mean, you could be a guy who can barely add two and two to four, two and two, and makes four on a consistent basis. And if you're confronted with the aforementioned Albert Einstein, Mm -hmm. you know, you would go like, well, that's okay. I mean, you seem to know a lot, but I'm not going to believe anything you say. Right. So therefore... You know, I'm going to figure it out for myself, you know? Well, but isn't that a unique American idea where it's like, no, individualism, I'm the one who's going to figure it out. And it's sort of this strange irony that we're living in now. Individualism is run amok. Right. (laughs) You know, but there's no doubt about that. Well, I mean, I I think that's what Trump supporters see themselves as, of course, if you're outside of the Trump support bubble. Yeah, but I mean, they're just a cult. Right. So, like, I mean, they listen to all the, I mean, you know, who in their right mind would listen to this QAnon stuff? I mean, this is one of the... uh, I mean, we talked about this before. I mean, I think, like, this is just a bridge too far, you know? Well, but, of course, uh, QAnon, <laughs> I actually know Lionel LeBron. It's extremely bizarre that he had to go or he got to go to the White House and meet with Donald Trump. Uh, QAnon, of course, I'm sure our audience all knows, was a mystery dude named Q, and he's feeding everyone secret information well, about the inner workings of the government. Well, you know, the Q thing comes from the Q. Q classification. I would might say might add that William Cooper also was a Q classification. Really? Yeah, yeah. Q classification. What does that provide you? Do you get an email or a special mailer? Well, I mean, back in the day when he was in uh, naval intelligence. Now this is his story. I mean. I'm of the opinion that maybe he cleaned out a few ashtrays and saw some newspapers every here and there. Right. But I mean, um, what he basically did was sort through all these different. Communicators, because he was working for this guy Admiral Cleary, who was the commander of the some fleet which dealt with the entire Pacific Rim. Okay, so all this intelligence would come in. Most of it was sort of like the weather or something, and uh, yeah. and Bill Cooper and the other people who were in his in his group would sort through it, and they would they would triage it out for something that you know people of a higher rate would have to see people above the Q clearance. Okay, so Q clearance is it's really. Not even- it's not even that big. Hmm. It's not even the top. I thought know? it was the biggest. No, it's not the top. I mean, there's, I can't say I'm an expert about this, so I'm not going to say for sure. But I think there's a lot of leeway within the Q clearance about okay. what you really get to see. So, you know, Q is a weird letter. It doesn't come up that much. you know. Sure. So, so, so it sounds important, more important yeah, than it might absolutely. be. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that's really. And anytime you're when you're addressed solely by one letter, you're you're a very important person. I mean, just ask James Bond. Yeah, it's James Bond. Well, he only has three numbers. Well, I think that it's Q. Isn't that his number one guy? That's true. It's M. M. Is it M? M. I don't know. What I'm saying is, <laughs> if you're known as just one letter, it's bigger than being known as just like Madonna. It's I mean, just well, M. Madonna, yeah, it's true. I mean, remember they used to have Madonna, Montevani. You know, guys with one guys with one name are always kind of a little absolutely like they're mysterious. Sting, you know. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's always a little fun, something funny about a guy with only one name. But uh, so, what is it now with these people? I mean, going back to your years, let's talk about Rolling Stone. Uh, those kinds of things. What were some of the what were some of the stories that you were covering in the seventies, and how would you cover um, if you were you know out there? I mean, Rolling Stone. I don't know how well it's doing um, as a newspaper. It I'm was not sure. Doing pretty well in nineteen seventies. It was doing great in the seventies. I mean, it was really one of the major mouthpieces, specifically for more of the more of the left, and it really was able to espouse ideals that weren't necessarily in the mainstream conversation quite yet. Well, I mean, you know, when you got a huge 
audience, I mean, the baby boomer generation, that takes in like 90 million people, some, you know, enormous amount of people. Right, right. So you got this boom audience of which I'm part of. I was born in 1948. Okay. So I'm like right down in the middle in there. So uh, these are the people who are hanging on for dear life right now to remain relevant in the society. Mm -hmm. So, which is uh, good and bad in a lot of ways, but uh, we don't need to get into it. But I mean, Rolling Stone was, and Rolling Stone, The Voice, or a lot of these kind of things were basically for that generation. And those gener that generation was, saw itself as um, sort of above the law Mm -hmm. in a weird, above the culture. They were gonna make make the culture, and they did for a long, long time. Right. Until the invention of technology, which, and people would go like, you know, most people my age go like, they better have a hard time figuring out which side of the, you know, with their cell phone is upside down or not. They right, right, know. right. So like, yeah, I can relate to them. <laughs> so you know, yeah, I mean, well, I feel the same way. But um, but the thing is that like, so you got to you got a thing like that. But back in the day, you have to understand that this was the the word. And, you know, this was the thing out right. that people would listen to, and people like Hunter Thompson and that kind of stuff became huge stars. Yeah. And it was a different sense. It was a sensibility that you went out of. But it was for journalists. I mean, it was basically you go out. Here's the area you're gonna you're gonna cover. Okay. We're gonna cover drugs in New York, right? Mm-hmm. So you go out and they and you say, come back in six weeks and come and tell me what you found. So which is a completely different than the news, the 24-hour news cycle right, they have now. So, um, you know, and then you'd, you'd find people and have to search through all these people to, like, find the story. So you had to go do investigative journalism. You had to go to the, well, I, the slums of the Lower East Side and hang out with well, all the yeah, drug I mean, users. But, I mean, it was also, like, it was a lot of scene stuff. I did a piece one time, big, long piece about, for The Voice about the corner of 14th Street and 3rd Avenue. All right, what was going on there? It was, well, I had this... I published this piece of 10 sleaziest street corners in New York City. Hey, all right. Places back to the, go. Back in the 1970s, there were many contenders for this. <laughs> yeah, top <laughs> you know, ten. But I love 14, it. There was like a BuzzFeed list. <laughs> well, it was a BuzzFeed list for 1977, you know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> because 1977, was, that's, the, that's the epicenter for New York City, right? Like, that's the that's the year of Son of Sam. That's the year right. of the blackout. That's like oh you know God. all this stuff was happening. You know, so like, and um, you know, so you'd go around and like, well, why were, was Fourteenth and Third the sleaziest part? Well, they were just it was all junkies. I mean, like, I, you can't even imagine what I mean. People are from New York will understand this, but I mean, it was. Junkies. It wasn't even. There weren't even junkies there. There were like people that were selling T's and V's, baby. T's and V's, which was two and alls and Valiums. Hey, all they right. Would, they would sell on the street, and you say you had this kind of like, and there was like these dirty bookstores that were so dirty you couldn't even go into them. You know, yeah. I mean, and uh, they had like these strange. Um, there was before they had internet pornography. You right. had to actually go out to these places. That's it. And go and with the door and the and the beginning of the pornography. You did, they didn't even show the movie on a screen. It was like they showed the movie onto a mirror that was then reflected back to this white screen. So everything was, you know, flipped. Very bizarre. <laughs> it was bizarre. It was completely out of focus all the time. But wow. yet yet people would go. <laughs> and they put these quarters in there, you know. And um, and it was, you know, there was a lot of those things there. And then there was, 
And it was a lot of cops, and it was kind of beat up bars, and there was a old movie theaters because it was before the real estate boom. So they had these ancient old movie theaters, which are now NYU dorms or something like that. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, something like a typical thing that would happen would be um, if you were a movie fan, you wanted to go see a Pam Greer movie like Coffee or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my friend and I, we used to like, because we were movie nuts, we had a certain place that you want to sit. In the theater, like in the eighth row, in the middle. This is the optimum spot, right? Oh, in the middle, all right. But on 14th Street and 3rd Avenue, you'd be sitting there watching a movie, and, you know, the theater is half the seats are broken and stuff like that. And then all these bottles come flying out of the balcony, which they used to have at the time, and crashing all around you. And, you, you know, big, you know, liquor bottles. Yeah. Dangerous, you know? Seems so, like it. So the thing that you, the thing that would bother you the most, about that was you had to get up from your seat, the seat that you wanted to sit in that was optimum to watch the film, and sit under the overhang of the bow of the balcony so you wouldn't get hit in the head. Hmm. And this was like a huge inconvenience. <laughs> so, 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 uh, it sounds like it. I mean, but these are the kind of things that you had to worry about on 14th Street and 3rd Avenue on uh, in um, in 1976. So, being a native New Yorker, yes, I am. Um, you saw. My, I am so humiliated that Donald Trump well, is from the borough of Queens. Ask. You I mean, are. You I used to be able Donald to ride Trump. my bicycle from my house, which was on the other side of the expressway. For people that know about these things. And uh, and to Trump's house, I must have gone by there 15 times. All right. You know, just because it was like a 20-minute ride on my bicycle. What kind of house are we talking here? Trump had this house that was, uh, it looked like this faux mansion thing. And the thing that I really remember about the most was my father, who was a New York City school teacher. Okay. A strong union man. Like, and hated Trump's father, who was a union breaker. Well-known okay. union breaker. Because he built a lot of different buildings in that area, and he was always brave. He would never deal with the unions. He'd break the unions. Right. So one time we were driving by Trump's house, and my father stopped the car, and he said, that's where that Ghanif Trump lives. And I, Ghanif is a Yiddish word for, like, thief. Okay. So... so so I I always remembered that, you know. <laughs> so when Donald well, Trump covering, came around, yeah. you know, I mean, the people in New York who had grown up with Donald Trump. Right. I mean, we knew what he was like. Well, that's the most interesting <laughs> thing. We watch all these documentaries. I was born in 1981, so I am a young man. and I'm standing by that. Um, but if you watch well, I, these more, old yeah, interviews. I, I envy you, but. <laughs> yeah, right. No, don't. Everyone's going to be half a cyborg by the time I'm done. Yeah, and yeah, uh, if I have a son or a daughter, much. they're going to marry a robot, and then that's going to be a problem. That's what my kids always tell me, but you know. I don't know. I'm not too optimistic about the future in a lot of ways, but I'm also optimistic about the future. So hang in there, everyone. Okay, there Absolutely. we go. Absolutely. I'm very optimistic about the future. All right. Okay. I, I really do feel things are going to get better. Uh-huh. Um, so when it comes to Donald Trump, you've known him forever. Uh, even in the, you know, the early 80s, mid-80s, uh, he was talking about possibly running for president. Yeah, but nobody took it seriously. No one ever took it seriously, <laughs> like the rise of somebody else. But I won't go into that because I hate the analogy. But, um, but when, what was your perspective of Donald Trump growing up and then covering it as a journalist? Do you know folks who covered him? Because obviously well, we just covered found- him because he wasn't a worthwhile topic. 
Well, he was quite famous uh, well, I mean, across the country. But that was for page six. We didn't do that right. kind of stuff. I mean, you know, the idea that a page, that a guy, a creature of like the tabloids, <laughs> and I love tabloids. I'm talking about the gossip column thing. Right. I mean, the only thing you hear about Trump was that he married Martha, Martha Maples, or he did this. Marla or, Maples. Yeah. yeah. Remember her? So, like, of you know, he, he did all these things, you know, and he was all completely obsessed about getting in his name in a newspaper. Right. And, um, it wasn't somebody to take seriously. Well, now we have the situation. What's the name of the main guy behind the National Enquirer? David Pecker. David Pecker. So what, David, the, the well-named David Pecker. The da- well, absolutely. <laughs> Between Alan Weiner and David Pecker, we're really getting the... Uh, the um, hey, Anthony Weiner was a close friend of mine. Was he really? He was, yes. All right, we can talk about that in a second. When it comes to <laughs> David Pecker, uh, of course, now he was the head of... Uh, well, he is. The National Enquirer. Apparently, they had an entire safe filled with stories that basically David Pecker and the National Enquirer bought to bury. Uh, very similar to what happened here, or exactly what happened when it comes to Karen McDougal, the one of the uh, gals that Donald Trump paid off after he had an affair on Melania. Poor Melania, leave her alone. That's what I say. I think Melania is going to, she's the hope for the nation. Man. She's going to break up with him <laughs> as soon as he's out of the White House. That's my inside source. I hope, wouldn't it be great if she leaves him while he's in the White she House? She might as well. I think that his yeah. fan base would relate well, to I him mean, better than well, ever. Well, I mean, when you think about Trump, right? So, like, People want to. People who don't like Trump. I'm not. You know, people like him. So, but at some point, most people don't. At least the ones that we run into. Oh, a lot and, of. Pe- I mean, it is funny. A lot of folks. I mean, do. how would? What is the proper comeuppance for Donald Trump? You know, no media. No media coverage. Well, maybe that, that would kill him. I mean, throwing him out, impeaching him will not be bad. No, that it'll be just another news cycle. No, he'll just be sitting in Margo Largo talking to uh, all his. Cohorts saying how they screwed him, and they're all going to. You're right, Donna. You're right, Donna. You're right. a real hero. That will not be bad. I'm trying to think of what it, is it. Where is the embarrassment level for somebody with no embarrassment? Level? I really think it is solely not covering him. He's the president. You got to cover. No, him. No, I know. But so, after he's done, I think if you just leave him alone, of course he'll always be in the public eye. That's I mean, just I the way like it is. Some public but, humiliation. Where is it? What, what is can it? you do? The person who thinks about that. Well, that's what you should be thinking about. The only thing you Don't can run do. For I know this. president anymore. So, think about how to publicly humiliate Donald Trump. Well, I, there's a lot of people taking care of that. The only thing that I know <laughs> when it comes to publicly embarrassing Donald Trump. The only thing that he is very sensitive about is his wealth or lack thereof, right? He calls himself a billionaire, all this kind of stuff. Up for debate, we haven't seen the taxes, and a lot of folks think that's quite an inflated number, number, which would make sense because he inflates a lot of things like that. But when he was doing the Jeff Ross roast, I know Jeff Ross, and the only thing that Jeff and the uh, other folks on the dais couldn't joke about was his wealth. They could joke about him wanting to have sex with Ivanka. That was fine, but they could not joke about him and his wealth. So I think that would be uh, the most embarrassing thing if you opened up the safe and you had your uh, Al Capone, uh, Geraldo Rivera moment, and you realized there is nothing in the bank account. That would be the most embarrassing thing. But going back to the National Enquirer, what what are your thoughts on a publication like that? Do you think that that was one of the I first publications? I love that publication. You love that publication, despite because, the I mean, fact it's, it's really, full it, of lies. Well, I mean, it's only a problem when people believe it. So, you well, know, that's true. It's, so back, you know, we used to. I used to love to read the National Enquirer. I mean, while I was waiting on the supermarket line, sure, Weekly World know. News was one of my favorite magazines I mean, growing up. Like it's 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 only a problem when people begin to believe it. Well, when and, did and they start a, to believe it? I don't think they believe it now. They must. I mean, they elected no, this guy. I mean, guy. it's just, well, yeah, because the thing is that people are kind of like bereft. I mean, what's the best story? 
Donald Trump getting elected president is the best story. It is. What was the best story in in 2008? Obama. Bar- Barack Obama, first pre- black president of the United States. You gotta go for it. How right. would you, you know, how could you pass on something like that? That's the, the, see, the thing that's great about this country, which is also the horrible thing about this country, is that you can have two presidents back to back, Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Like, you couldn't imagine, like, two more different kinds of people in a lot of ways. Right. But- it's the narrative that's the best story. So the story, it's right. like it's like the well, you know, the facts are boring. Facts have now reached the absolute. Um, Ronald Reagan was the first person that said, "As facts are a stubborn thing," you know. Right. Like, how can you get rid of these things? You know. Yeah. And, you know, and now we got rid of them. So, like, you know. Uh, so how? And could- I don't really necessarily, as a journalist, I've been a journalist for almost fifty years. Yeah. Strangely enough, I've never made a penny doing anything else. You know, which I'm very proud of. And but the thing is, that, like, there you got to go with the flow of what people are thinking about. So therefore. If people feel that facts are are boring to them and they right. don't want to know it, then you've got to kind of take that into consideration when you're when you're doing your work. Well, let's get into Anthony Weiner here in a second, but just but just get finally with, with that because I love the I transition, love, Anthony Weiner. We have to because I I could talk about Anthony Weiner for days. I like um, Anthony a lot. But, I, I feel but, very sorry about what happened. Well, we'll talk about it, but just but just last, <laughs> yeah. how complicit do you think the media is? Because now we have the situation where CNN and MSNBC every day it's Trump. Their ratings are prop. Well, I don't think they're doing that great, but he is a great content provider. Donald Trump just came out. He said, "Without me, news media would uh, they would lose so much money. They want me in the White House." And I think there is some truth to that. How complicit is media and the role of journalists in getting him elected and normalizing his presidency? Well, because I mean, I'm not exactly. I couldn't really go to the bank on this, but what everybody who's in the sort of know more in the know than me tells me that MSNBC will not do any non-Trump content. Right. They just won't cover anything else. They yep. just cover. And there's Trump. real things happening out so, there I mean, as you well. Know, the thing is, like, there's other stuff happening. I mean, they don't even. I mean, you know. Why not go after Betsy DeVos, right? right. She's a real criminal. Yes. You know? <laughs> she's absolutely. She, she is actually she, not only is she doing the things she's doing, she's wrecking like future generations. Absolutely. Donald, she's a more of a criminal than Donald Trump. I mean, plus she's but she's the sister of Eric Prince. I mean, this is like a nightmare people. Right. Eric Prince is the guy that started Blackwater for anybody else doesn't know that. Crazy. So, so I mean, you know, these are like bad people. Yeah. So like, you know, um Yeah, so why why, why he- would MSNBC and I'm not saying they never cover this, but why would they spend all that time with those boring talking heads talking about, like, you know, how much they can't stand Trump and all the horrible stuff he does when they can actually be serving the public by, you know, they got a lot of reporters there. Who, right. these, people, these reporters are not bad reporters. They, they're sure they all went to J school and they know what to do. So they should go out there and find out this kind of stuff and break some stories. That's as a opposed, great point. I mean, well, because they're... To me, I don't watch that stuff. Yeah, I don't watch Fox. I don't watch. I don't watch MSNBC. And in fact, I don't like. I have a thing about MSNBC, which is just a personal thing. But I mean, I feel that they're worse because I agree with most of the stuff they say. So yeah, but I don't agree with propaganda. Right. I'm against propaganda, except when you know I enjoy it. 
It's sure. kind of funny, you know, but I mean, this is supposed to be the news. It's not supposed to be propaganda. So right. I, and, and the internet thing, when they began to realize, when you began to realize that you never once ever had to read anything that you didn't agree with before you started reading it, this was a major sea, sea change in American, just in American journalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, where is Walter Cronkite when you really need him? You know, right. like, um, here's a guy, you know, for better or worse, at least they were trying to go down the middle. And everybody hated the middle. Right. People hate the middle. Well, it used to be for the longest time in American politics that the notion that the center holds, that inevitably you play to the center. But I think that theory now is is lost. I think now you play to the sides. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, like in this last election, like, for instance, you look at the election last night in in Florida. Right. So you got this kind of situation where the the primary systems, which I think are really need to be revamped because- Mm -hmm. It, it rewards the sides. Absolutely. So you got now you got two candidates, both of which are like so t- in Florida. DeSantis and uh, Gillum. Yeah, these people are to- totally compromised before they even run. Well, and of course, that's because Florida has a closed primary. So you have to be registered Democrat. You have to be registered Republican in order to vote in the primary. But I mean, of course, 38% I, 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 of the state Mr. is independent. I, hope, I wish Mr. Gillum very good luck. But the sure. thing is, that, like, you know, the fact that he's a black guy in, in one of the most racist states, in northern Florida, and he's got this FBI thing hanging over his head. I mean, I can't see how he wins. I don't know what the so FBI like, you know, thing and, is. And What's the he, FBI thing? I don't even know about it. I just know it's there, right? I got to find out about it. But I mean, you don't need to know, really, because you know that they're going to hammer him with it. And so they're, so the Trump guy, I mean, yet last night he's on TV using the word monkey already. I mean, you know, this is the discourse that we have to put up it's with. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to. That's why your optimism is uh, is <laughs> no, intriguing I mean, I, I to me because I I think that this is what you get for being a hippie. With, oh, doing, you're doing one of those. 1960s I didn't hippie. know we had a hippie here. Uh-oh. Well, you know, this I is mean, getting crazy. No, hippies were good, man. They got a bad <laughs> reputation. I mean, well, Charles Manson didn't do him any favors. That's well, the big Charles, problem. Not every not every hippie was Charles Manson. <laughs> Although Charles Manson was a really pretty good songwriter, actually. No, I know. I had his first <laughs> album. It's not had horrible. His first album. <laughs> if he would have just you listened know, to the, the producer, Boys, the Beach Boys recorded his stuff. I, mean, I know. You know, he had a he what, had some potential. Wilson? He's one of the great geniuses of American pop hey, culture. <laughs> you don't got to tell me, man. So you know. Well, I'm not going to argue in favor of Charles Manson. Well, but musically, that first, if he would have listened to someone, not been well, a total sociopath. Dave, David Koresh, all he really wanted to do was be a rock and roll star. Mm, didn't yeah, work out for him. Well, Janet know, Reno had something to say about that. Yeah, you know, but a lot of these guys, you know, well, we don't need to go into. There's another one of these megalomania things, man. Yeah, of course. So, um, but... Uh, what was your What was your point? Now tell me again. Well, now I've completely lost it. See, like what I was saying about the hippies was, they were actually. I mean, the dumb hippie is the kind of like. I mean, you had to neutralize of what was really kind of a major movement, major political movement. The hippie movement. Yeah, I mean, right. it wasn't just a bunch of stoners. I mean, you know, I get like to get stoned as much as anybody else. Right. But um, the thing is that, uh, you know, there was political content in that so if you can demean it as a bunch of stoners it was stupid right, right, kind right. Of like, hey man what the hell's happening you know like that kind of thing and you neutralize it you know so like and that right. was completely you know that was done there's yeah. no that just like COINTELPRO neutralized the Black Panther Party and that yeah. kind of stuff like that these kind of things are just part of 
I think, what they call alternative history. Absolutely. Which I think it goes back to the conspiracy thing. Because the thing about conspiracy, which makes it interesting, is that until it gets co-opted by haters like Alex Jones and the Trump people and all that kind of stuff like that, it's a legitimate it's a legitimate um, inquiry into like the the official story of histor of history, right. which is basically told by you know neoliberal historians yep. and the conservative historian, you know, which basically have you know they have their own point of view. Yeah, they co opted I mean, the narrative for sure. Well, they they own the narrative, so right. now if they don't own the narrative. That's good, right? So I'm, I'm I'm a favor of that. Well, I want to talk to you. Well, let's wrap it up with that question about the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, and how the left is now embracing them as if they're the saviors of this <laughs> yeah, country. But before yeah. that, Anthony Weiner, what is wrong with Anthony Weiner? Can well, I just ask you, why is this man? He didn't even have sex with anyone. This is the problem. There's a great documentary. You got to watch Weiner. I've, I've I've seen it. I thought it was great. Oh my! It was so good. That, I mean, because it, it was like I know the guy very well. I but did, you know, I, I mean, did two stories okay. with him. I, did, I, did, I wrote about him on two different occasions in New York Magazine. I spent a lot of time with him. All right, what were I your really thoughts? enjoy him as a person. Okay. He's as smart as a whip. He's got a great sense of humor. You know, um, I ate dinner with him and Huma a few times, you know. Yeah. And it's obvious, everybody's wondering, like, why Huma would ever marry a guy like that, right? This is like, why would you do that? Why of would course. you marry a guy who's supposed to be the pervert? But but you could tell that she really dug him. You know, like because he would tell these jokes, and she would even late into the game, he'd be telling these jokes, and she would laugh, and they yeah. were funny too. Yeah. So like you know, she was in, she got a kick out of him. You know, um, but he's got you know what? Look, I'm not an expert on his psychological setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but uh, you know for some reason he had this self destructive urge. Which was too bad because he really was one of the better congressmen. In the he game. really was, of course. He was. He was the only guy that was hanging out for was was who was holding out for single payer. He was the only guy who did a lot of that kind of stuff. Right, right. You know, so like, um, you know, I'm not saying that he was. I mean, if I was a real moron conspiracy theorist kind of guy, I would assume that like, well, like they brought him down. They brought Anthony Weiner down. Right. I mean, he did it to himself, obviously, but. Well, what were the stories that you were working on about uh, about Mr. Weiner? Well, Weiner, it was mostly around the mayoral election. Because he had a chance, for those that don't know, he was probably going to be the next mayor of New York. Had he not gone back, he had the apology to her. And then this Sidney Leathers character rolls out of nowhere. Well, Sidney Leathers, Leathers is really a creature, man. <laughs> it's interesting. She made a lot of I don't even know if she made a lot of money off of Is that really uh, her name? Weiner. I mean, Sidney I'm not Leathers. sure. I don't think that's... No, I'm sure that's not really her name. I think that's her performance I, art I hope name. that's really her name. But uh, because it would just be funnier that way. But, um, you know, the thing about Anthony is like... Uh, Breslin used to say, uh, Jimmy Breslin... Yeah, people people out there are familiar with Jimmy Breslin. Of course, yes, he's on the tip of everyone's <laughs> he, tongue. He, uh, not really, but he was at one time. He was the number one journalist in New York City. Yeah. So, like, um, he said, "Talent don't be- don't care who it belongs to." Now, right. Anthony Weiner was a talented politician, and, but he wasn't the guy to carry that talent because he had this weird defect, you know. But yeah. um, did you feel like when you were interviewing with him, was there any signs? To, did you interview him after the first scandal? I interviewed, him, I interviewed him before and after. Okay, so what was, was there a change in his demeanor or his overall vibe? Uh, that's a good question. I would say not as much as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because he was him. 
you know, he was him. He realized that he had to do this kind of thing. He had to go around and apologize and all this kind of stuff like that. But whether he... He clearly hadn't thought this all the way through because he wouldn't have done it again right. you know, and allowed himself to get caught again, you know. Um, that kind of moves him into the tragedy department. Right. But, I mean, the thing about Wiener, which was kind of fun, is like, you know, he, he he just didn't have that much respect for, he had he had the right kind of respect for his office. He understood that it was important, and but he also was a New York guy. His right. mother was a school teacher. You know, he just like he was a very recognizable person as somebody from New York. Like when you look at a guy like Bill de Blasio, to me, he doesn't seem like a New Yorker. So I right. don't want him for mayor, even if, you know, I just don't want him. Yeah, he's a Red Sox fan. I, I'm really actually surprised that that wasn't a bigger deal in the uh, campaign. I mean, I saw him on the street. He lives right near where I used to, where he used to live on the next block from where I live, right? Yeah. So I see him on the street every once in a while, and then, you know, it was just, I don't like him. So I drove by him drove by him the other day. I see him. He's this gawky guy. He looks like, you know, his real name is Wilhelm, not the Blasio. Oh, my goodness. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. I don't yeah. like him even more now. Yeah, so, I mean, the name, now somebody with the name Wilhelm is not going to be elected in New York City. But well, he was uh, somebody, named, somebody named de Blasio <laughs> might get reelected. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, I see. Know, it's so, like Trump and Trump. But yeah, you I change know, it I up. Mean, yeah, so, like, the guy is like, I mean, to me, Anthony Weiner was a real New Yorker, so... As a real New Yorker, I give him points that maybe he doesn't deserve for that. But you right, know, that's well. I mean, I guess now, obviously, the political career is done. He'll be in prison for the next, I think, like eighteen months or so because yeah, he's I mean, already served a minute. Um, I mean, I told Anthony, I said, Anthony, man, you don't need to run for mayor. You need to go work for Mother Teresa for about two years and then come back. You know, right, what says, did he say? Just didn't hear it. You know, he didn't hear that he needed to more. You don't have to go work for Mother Teresa, but um, you needed more penitence before you just throw yourself back into the fray. You needed right. more, and he didn't. He didn't think that way. Interesting. And so, I mean, obviously now his career is his career is over. You should definitely do an interview with him if you get the chance think, when he's out. Maybe I will go out to lunch with him. Yeah, you have to. I mean, maybe not in public. I don't know, but he's an interesting guy, though. No, most people feel that way about him, though. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm not the only one. No, absolutely. And if you get a chance to watch that documentary, it's been out for a little while now. But you get to see him campaign. You get to see him flip a crowd. The crowd was very hostile. I think he was in Long Island or something like oh, that. He's he's, he's, a, he's great at it. Yeah, really talented. All right, to wrap it all up, let's talk about the CIA, the FBI, uh, the uh, NSA. This, these are the institutions going back to corporate media, going to, back to talking about MSNBC. Michael Hayden is always on. He's the former head of the NSA, and they are treating him like he is the last bastion, the savior of this country. And these are the people who were in charge of a completely unconstitutional, completely nefarious program that should have never existed. But what are your thoughts as a former hippie slash journalist? How about journalist slash former hippie? Journalist slash former hippie works. Hippie, okay. <laughs> okay, you know. I should have never admitted that I was a hippie. No, it's fine. I would have been a hippie too. <laughs> but, um, any event. So you got to go back to September. I don't I don't mean to be historical, but go back to September 18th, 1947, the day that Harry Truman signed the National Security Act, which okay. created the CIA, the NSA, and all those things you were just mentioning. So... And these guys were always the bad guys. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that were going to get the FBI and all those kind of guys were the bad guys. You know, if you want to go talk about hippies, they were the bad guys. Right. The idea that, that, that things have flipped, that now you'll see Rachel Maddow or somebody like that defending the FBI because Trump is against it, is to me like 
I mean, what more do you need to know about the about the uh, kind of uh, lack of historical integrity that most of the propagandists that are out there now? Right. I mean, you know, what, what's wrong with understanding a little bit of history about what's going on? I mean, James Comey to me. He is not exactly what you call a hero, man. No, he he interfered with the intellect with the election. He did absolutely. He did on on both sides. You know, so wh- where where is his sense of decorum? You know, why should he be a hero? Right. I mean, I I like that he's tall. He's six foot eight, and like he's an Irish guy, and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Sure. Know, but, yeah. But, we gotta I mean, like the, the tall thing guys. Is like, you know, that's good. But um, you know, these guys should be seen for really what they are. And the NSA is, regardless of you think that Trump is against them, if Trump's against them, that's probably I'm on Trump's side. So like, yeah. you know, but but nobody can be on Trump's side. So you got to be against them. Right, right, right. So you got to be for the NSA. How can you possibly be for these people? So um, yeah, I understand your point, and I think you're right. Well, that's the most difficult thing about all of this, just because, I mean, my girlfriend wrote a piece for the New York Post talking about uh, Michael Cohen has a GoFundMe. And it's his GoFundMe for uh, for his legal trouble troubles. Of course, he's Lanny Davis is his lawyer. This man's a multimillionaire. Michael Cohen has twenty million bucks. And the idea that anti-Trumpers are now giving money to the former Trump fixer, former Trump lawyer, because now he's against Trump, it, it makes my the only head reason. Explode. The only reason why he got that job is he has the same name as Roy Cohn. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know. A couple of extra letters in there, or but, but, one, I guess, but. I mean, you know, Roy Cohn is like, I, I would suggest people see a movie, it's not very well seen very much anymore, it's a movie called Citizen Cohn. Okay. With James Woods, if people remember him playing, really? playing Roy Cohn. James Woods has jumped a shark now, I love it. Well, he's pretty fantastic as Roy Cohn. I didn't realize he played Roy, <laughs> played that's Roy hilarious. Cohn. You can get this movie on YouTube or something like that, maybe, or at least buy it from Amazon, which is also the really, I mean, why isn't Jeff Bezos the enemy of the people? Right. <laughs> You know, Absolutely. What, what's wrong with that? No, I mean he's he's getting all buff. He shaved his head. He looks like a supervillain. But uh, the meat's cheaper now at Whole Foods, so thank God. And his employees at Amazon uh, still don't get bathroom breaks, and inevitably they're just going to be out of a job as automation continues to take over the country. Well, see, that's why you got to think past that and think about the fu- the brighter future. That's what I'm going to do. I do it every day. I you love the when future. When you get up in the morning, you just think about the brighter future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Mark Jacobson, check out this book, Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. Also, if you get a chance, listen to our Patreon interview Henry and I did uh, with Mr. Jacobson. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening. I, Thank you for I, being here, man. Can I plug one more thing? Yes, of course. As I said before... Since I never even imagined myself having an Instagram account, I have one and I would like you to follow it. It's called Pale Horse Rider Book. Pale Horse Rider Book on Instagram. Follow that and uh, follow me at Ben Kissel One. Also, September 6th, The Strand, 7.30 to 8.30 p.m., Go check out Mark and uh, and speak with him. And then we're, are you going to sign the books? I'll sign books. Um, I'll be speaking with a guy named Danny Goldberg, who is a brilliant fellow. Used to be the manager of Kurt Cobain. Really? Which is, uh, a, that's who gets the chance to be Kurt Cobain's manager. Very cool, <laughs> man. All right. Well, hopefully if I'm in town, and I should be, I will be there as well. So I hope Great. to see you all there. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. 
All right. Thank you all so much. Interesting guy, Mark Jacobson, Marcus. I think you're really going to like him. He'll probably call in. He was on our Patreon for uh, Henry and I interviewed him for the last podcast on the left Patreon. All about the book. We talked more about the book uh, on that. So if you get a chance and you have given to our Patreon, go check that out. Please do. Um, All right, everyone. Well, we will be back next week covering uh, the most important news of the week. Alex Jones, (laughs) as always. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail yourselves.